Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. Good afternoon. It's eight minutes after one o'clock. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Life Happens. My name is Pimelo Modena. I'm going to be with you until three today. It's going to be a really interesting conversation we're going to have just now because I got in touch with Terence Ball. Terence Ball is a publisher of Heritage Publishers, okay? And so SA Heritage Publishers, in cooperation with the University of Pretoria, has come across over 891 rare ancestral writings written in the 1930s as well as in the 1940s. These are South African indigenous languages. They cover history, traditional medicine, agriculture and village and hut constructions, things that are really absolutely fascinating to me. Their translation will be a cornerstone in the preservation of the history and culture. So you cannot, this is what Terence Ball said, you cannot separate history, culture and language. If you do, you're obviously quite doomed. Terence is on the line with us. Good afternoon, Terence, and thank you once again for making the time to talk to us. Uh, thank you very much indeed. It's a privilege to be able to talk about the ancestors. So we we have, I mean, this is quite a, a find, 891 um, writings between 1930s and 1940s. Um, where, where did you start? Where did you start looking for this stuff? Well, yeah, we um, publish a series of um, books called the Our Story series, which focuses on important events and people um, that fashion South Africa. <clears throat> and we were going through an archive uh, and uh, discovered these writings um, and were absolutely stunned by them. Obviously, I'm not fluent, in, unfortunately, in any of our indigenous languages. Um, so we had to arrange uh, for the materials to be transcribed into the new orthography in each of the languages uh, and then translated into English. And the reason for that, obviously, is so that all South Africans, regardless of their language, uh, can read uh, the Chitsonga stories, the uh, Chivenda stories, the Zulu and so on. So, so Terence, I mean, that's quite fascinating. There, there is a period in which you, you talk about the fact that there was an absence of some writings, um, specifically from the Isindebele, uh, from the Ndebele people, and I think from the uh, Maswati as well? That's correct. In the, in the, during the time that these materials were written, the 1930s and 40s, as you pointed out, Isindebele and Saswati were not written languages. Um, so the stories of those people are written in Isizulu in the case of Amaswati and in Isizulu and in Sasutu Salibua and Setswana in the case of the Amandabele. We're facing some technical problems, Terence. So, so, can so, you hear me? So now I, I can hear you, but I mean, I keep losing you every now oh, and then. So oh, I'm so let, okay. Let's begin with the history of the Mamabolo um, and, and, and its history and some information that came through from the works that you were busy with. Yeah, well, uh, it's it's quite remarkable, really. It's the first time um, that anybody, to my knowledge, has uncovered material written in an indigenous language about the Spanish flu of the 1919s, 1918, 1919. 
And with your permission, I thought um, I would just read a little extract. Um, please, please, so I, I would love could, to hear uh, that. Get a feel for what the uh, writings are like. Please. It's written by a man called Letswalo mm-hmm. in uh, 1940. Mm-hmm. And the title is Mama Bolo, History, Tribal Makeup and Certain Customs. Mm-hmm. He starts by saying the clans of the Mama Bolo tribe, the royal family is divided into the following clans. Mankwen clan, these are the leaders of the tribe. Siripa clan, these are the chief's advisors. Mm-hmm. And they follow Siripa clan in order of giving advice. Baka Moche Kolo, they are the last clan to advise the chief. Mm-hmm. Then he talks about the Sepanese disease. Mm-hmm. Um, we have already explained how the people of Mamabolo experienced the uh, Tlala Moche Tretwane. Mm-hmm. The tribe also fought some battles on their way. There was once an illness that killed many people in this tribe. As we have already mentioned, in 1914, most of the Mamabolo men were sent to France to assist the French troops in a war. Mm -hmm. Their return in 1918 was celebrated, but it appeared that they did not only return with glory. In 1919, it was realized that the men returned home with a terrible disease that infected and killed many people in Khamamabolo. The disease was so quick to kill a patient, a patient would normally not survive the disease for three days after having been infected. The disease was called Bolwezi Brasrepanese. The Boers called it Dridach. The disease would infect people who were living in populated areas. That is, people who were able to infect one another if they were in close contact. The Sefapelo people survived the disease because they had already started living in a modern way in Kharakopi. Their homes were already structured in a way that there was enough space between their homesteads. It was believed that the disease was airborne. Even doctors were very afraid to treat patients because some of them died while trying to treat their patients. The disease was never experienced before in South Africa. It was the first time and maybe the last to be experienced. It killed many family members once at a time. And in brackets, um, as the editor, I put this work was translated in November 2020 during the COVID-19 epidemic. I am, and it's an extraordinarily moving piece. It is. An, it's, it's very moving. And I'll tell you why it's moving to me. Because I have got um, ancestors on both my mother's side and my father's side who were killed by the Stridach disease. That's um, extraordinary. It is extraordinary, yeah. So, and, and all, both sides, um, both the husband and wife died days apart. Both husband and wife died day, days apart. And I've known that they were killed um, by the Stridach disease, which they say, um, you know, if you didn't, if you had lasted over the, over three days, then it means you had survived it. If you hadn't, then, yes. then that was that. And they, they, both left infants, so I am that's, a product of these infants. That's right, and you know, the great tragedy of it, obviously not only the loss of life, but really when one looks at the historical statistics of the period, of course that excludes black South Africans living in rural areas. Hmm. So, um, where where is this, the, the, the writing, Mama Bulo's writing, where, where, where was this location? Sorry, where was the writing? The, the, where was the location of, of the stuff that he's talking about? Uh, well, he mentions Kharakopi, uh, so mm. we can actually identify where that is. Mm. Um, uh, and it would have been obviously in the home district of the Mamabolo people in Limpopo, yeah. present-day Limpopo. 
do we know how widespread this was? I mean, do we have any other writings by other other communities in, in other areas? I can't answer that question accurately as yet. There are, as you pointed out, you know, close to 900 writings. We've only been able to transcribe and uh, translate 200 of those. Um, this see. is the most detailed reference uh, to the disease. There was another writing that I read um, uh, which made mention of the fact that a chief had died in 1918. And the following sentence simply reads, a lot of people died in 1918. Yeah. But it doesn't specify that it was the flu. It doesn't give as much detail uh, as Letzwalo has provided here. I'm absolutely fascinated. So in my family history, the one set were definitely in rural South Africa in the northwest. And the mm -hmm. dates absolutely correlate. Um, right. Because the the child, the, the orphan, was born in 1910. And they were about couple of about three years when their parents died so that must yeah. have been around the same time 1914 1913 and they, they specifically called it Dredach and the one that, set of parents were actually in um, the uh, I think Matatiela area and oh in, okay yes yes which, which is obviously also quite far removed from Limpopo so that's interesting that's right. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not a specialist, obviously, on the yeah. Spanish flu, but I have heard a professor at UCT being interviewed on the radio talking about how the disease rapidly spread along the railway lines mm. um, because South Africa had a very well-developed railway system at that time, I believe, because of uh, the diamonds and gold. Oh. Um, <laughs> the, the trains were needed to get labor to the mines um, and obviously to get the product of the mines out of the country. It makes perfect uh, sense. So it very quickly spread yeah. into rural areas across South Africa. Well, it makes perfect sense because the northwest region I'm talking about is the Rustenburg area where there was mining. So it makes perfect sense at the time. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But there are quite a lot of writings in Setswana, mm -hmm. um, of which we have yet to translate. Mm -hmm. So there may well be something, uh, you know, uh, that crops up. So um, so you, you're still in the, the 200s. You're still in the 200s. <laughs> you still have a long way to go. And I'm We quite, have a huge way to go, I, yes. I'm indeed. quite keen to hear if there were writings that spoke about how people... You know, I know that not everybody got the flu, what what we now know to be the Spanish flu, um, what they used to recover or what they gave those who were ailing. I'm quite interested in, 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 in that information. Well, interestingly, there are some writings that deal with the preparation of traditional medicines mm -hmm. um, and also the um, administration of those medicines. Um, we've translated a work in Chitsonga that mm -hmm. covers uh, traditional medicine preparation uh, in, in the far north of Limpopo. Mm -hmm. uh, we have also uh, translated some Setswana works uh, which talk about traditional medicines. I can't give you the detail now, sure. obviously, because uh, I don't have that in my head. Yes. Um, I don't know, you know, I can't honestly tell you what was prescribed, say, in hospitals, yes. um, but I assume that they just had to treat it as though it were flu, try and keep people warm, try and uh, um, obviously ensure that they were hydrated. Um, 
but I, I wouldn't know yes. what the treatment was then. I'm going to take a, a quick break and I'm going to ask people to start dialing in, Terence. I think people have many, many questions about some of your discoveries. 011-714-2006. WhatsApp number is also very open to you uh, to dial in on 0614-410-4107. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. So SA Heritage Publishers um, uh, cooperated with the University of Pretoria and have come across 891 rare ancestral writings written around 1930s and the 1940s. And these are South African indigenous languages. Um, They are written in indigenous languages and they cover history, traditional medicine, agriculture, village huts and uh, constructions of those huts. Their translations will be a cornerstone in the preservation of this history and our culture. And I think it's such an important um, work that they've they've embarked on. Terence Ball is with the publish uh, publisher Heritage Publishers, and he's a publisher there. And he's obviously him and his team and the University of Pretoria have been really busy trying to get this work translated into English. So, you how are you doing it, Terence? Are you going by regions? No, we are. Um, what is happening at the moment is that the university is in the process of scanning in all of these writings. Ah. Now, these writings exist currently in two forms: mm-hmm. a handwritten manuscript mm-hmm. in most instances, and then a typewritten on a typewriter, typewritten document mm-hmm. of that period. Uh, and these papers are held um, by the University of Pretoria's library. They have scanned in just over half the total number of writings, um, and we've translated uh, just under half of what has been scanned in. So, um, so that that is how they exist at the moment. Yeah. What we are doing is we are producing a transcription in the indigenous language mm-hmm. in the current orthography, because obviously the uh, orthography in the 30s and 40s was different. Mm-hmm. And having done that, we're then translating them into English to ensure that they can be um, read and understood by a wider audience. Is there um, some collaboration between yourselves, for instance, and the British who who were here somewhat and were quite involved as well in in part of our history and i know that they're really great with archives is there some some works being done um, to collaborate with them no not not with the british government at this stage but mm. what happened is um uh we translated a very interesting piece mm. on the amabata mm-hmm. and um one of uh, makapula's sons uh, i won't go into too much detail mm-hmm. was given by his father the chief of the amabata mm. To um, a priest. Uh, when the priest returned to England, mm. he took Bertie and Tapai back with him, and Tapai mm. was his name. Yes. And um, by sheer coincidence, um, somebody from the, the uh, South African High Commission in the UK mm-hmm. contacted me about a different matter, and I could hear from his accent that he was Isitosa speaking. <laughs> Lo and behold, he was a Bata. So I sent the stories to him, and he immediately contacted me to say we need to work together, and he wants to approach the British um, to see if we can find Bertie's grave. Bertie Mkapai married an English girl, um, and he died in 1938 and he's buried in England. 
So what we are doing with uh, the South African High Commission uh, in the UK is we're trying to find Bertie and Tapai's grave. Ah, it sounds absolutely amazing. Let's take some voice notes coming through. Please take a listen, Terence. Okay. Hi, Pimelo. Please, uh, I thank you for your show. Uh, Can you please ask your visitor or uh, your guest uh, the difference between these two languages, Sepedi and Sesotho Salaboa, because it's causing a lot of confusion. Uh, some are calling themselves Mapedi, uh, uh, and the others are calling themselves Basotho Balaboa, and they and each of them prioritize as their yeah as their as as their best and their first language. Hi, Pamela. Uh, you're having a very fascinating discussion there. And, and uh, my name is Nklancha. I've actually been wondering what happened to the record and documentation of African traditional medicines, so, so particularly from the South African perspective. So I'm looking forward to get hold of that writing, particularly the Shizonga translation of the traditional medicine. Um, if you can ask your guests to let us know how we're going to get the writing. And, and one would be able to place an order quickly and get that book and start using it. There's a really great need of going back to traditional medicine and having talking about it even more and using it even more um, and even making it more packaged in a proper, uh, usable or administrable way. Thank you. Terence, I don't know if you, you know, to what extent you can respond to these questions. So the one is asking if there is any distinction that you got from the writings around the Basutu uh, Balibuwa and Bapedi. Was there any clarity that you got from some of the writings you got? Uh, yeah, I think also, but I, maybe I misheard the question. I thought the gentleman was asking about the difference between the two. Why? What is the Sutu Salibua versus the Sut um, uh, versus uh, um, Sepedi? Yes. Now, um, I know that there's been some wrangling about the official terminology. The official name for the language is the Sutu Salibua. And it's a bit like Setswana, where you have uh, Bahurutsi who speaks Sehurutsi, Batlapin who speaks Setlapin. Um, the same thing is true in Popa, Sehananwa is spoken by Bahananwa, and Papedi speak Sepedi. So there are dialectal differences okay. uh, in those languages. All right. so, and I would have to talk to my translator, who's highly skilled in the language, but from what he has said, there are clear differences in some of the writings. The writings from Bapalaburua, for instance, mm-hmm. um, versus the writings from uh, so in, 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 you would classify it as dialects as opposed to two different languages? Well, they are, they are slightly different, yes. There are words, I believe, that are used sometimes in one um, area which are not used in another. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm not a language specialist, mm-hmm. but there are, you know, it's certainly possibly an accent variation. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly if you would ask uh, somebody from Palavorwa if they speak Sepedi, they would say, no, they don't. They speak Sepalavorwa. They speak Sesutusalibua. Sesutusalibua is the name for all of um, the the group of languages, if you like, um, that uh, different clans speak. Is there any way that you can maybe take us into a journey of the split or is that asking too much? A journey of the? Of the split. So at what point did they then, um, those who call themselves and classify themselves as pedi, 
do that? Is there any way that you can trace that for us? No, I can't really. I mean, obviously, I could do some research and find out very mm-hmm. quickly because I do work closely with the South African National Lexicography Units, mm-hmm. who are the government agencies constitutionally mandated to elevate the status of our indigenous languages. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I think clearly, I mean, with the people themselves, I mean, this is a moot point. Let's go to KZN. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before uh, the Battle of Mushlatuzi River, mm. I'm sure that the Amandwandwe would have talked about speaking Isandwandwe. Mm-hmm. Um, the Amazulu is Isizulu. Now, obviously, the Shlubi, we already know, are very active and proud of their language, Isishlubi. So, but Isizulu, if you like, is used as the kind of term for all of those languages in KZN, yeah. which is not actually correct, mm-hmm. but is, I suppose, understood by everyone. Mm-hmm. The same can be said of Sutusalibua mm-hmm. versus Sipedi. Makes perfect sense to me. I hope, I hope that makes some sense. I think I think we will we will elaborate a bit more on this uh, at some point yeah. just to get um, more information for the listeners. Um, yes. Let's go to the traditional medicines, and um, we're going to go back to that. I, I see that we are into uh, the headlines time now, Terence. If you don't mind, we'll we'll talk about the traditional medicines and what information came through from some of your findings. Let me go quickly to the headlines now, quickly with Nandika Biukas at one thirty. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.6 FM in Mtata. Thank you so much for staying with us. SA Heritage Publishers in cooperation with the University of Pretoria have come across 891 rare ancestral writings. And these are said to be from around the 1930s and the 1940s. And these are in African indigenous languages. And they've embarked on a journey to translate many of the works here in the 200s as we speak. Not quite finished yet, but I think it's absolutely exciting. Terence Ball is a publisher at Heritage Publishers and he's with us um, this afternoon, just trying to give us an, a sense of what it is that have been covered and uncovered so far. Terence, there was a question around what you have found with regards to African traditional medicine so far. Okay, well, I have in front of me a paper. This is written by Ndambi, mm-hmm. um, and I know the family. I know his grandson, ah. Isaiah Ndambi, in the 1930s and 40s. Okay. And the title is Medical Law. Now, just as a prefix, a just, number just, of just, these writers just, just uh, wrote, wrote these materials Terence? after interviewing the then elderly. Okay. Yes, J- just help us here. So, w- which region would this come from? Where would it come from? This is Limpopo again, okay. um, and it's far in the sort of northeast, close to uh, the northern part of the Kruger Park, okay. and not too far from Zimbabwe, neighbouring okay. on Zembe. Okay, fantastic. And uh, a lot of these authors interviewed the then elderly. Mm. Now, you can imagine if an elderly person that they interviewed was 80, they would have been born in, say, about 1860, Mm. 1870. Mm -hmm. So it goes back a long way. Mm. And this has happened in this instance. So it starts like this. I would like to thank God for affording me the opportunity to rummage through the ancient life of our ancestors in respect of medical law. Mm. Greetings all. I am Muslavi Makuhani Matsavelen Dove. I am from Godswana under Savi, Sengweni. My grandparents came to the Transvaal at Mashawu village, fleeing wars with the Nguni people. I would like to narrate matters to um, ancestral traditional healing. I would also like to inform you about secrets relating to ancestral traditional healing that is before our encounter with the white man. 
some of these secrets are now meaningless and have fallen out of practice. However, some traditional healing practices remain significantly important even today. As a result, some go beyond the proverbs of the ancestors. And then he goes on to describe, and I don't have this in front of me, but the various leaves, the various roots, the kinds of wood and bark uh, that were used to make traditional medicines. And he goes further to tell us how those medicines um, are to be administered. Hmm. I am absolutely fascinated um, at the fact that he actually does go on to state the details, because exactly as he said it, one of the things that we are aware of is that Traditional medicines um, often would be orally, um, you know, we would, it would be passed on orally because of the fact that it, it is sacred. Very little of it was written for, for many reasons. There were reasons why they didn't mm. document it in writing. And I'm fascinated mm. that this particular person went on to actually write and stipulate what it is that they were doing with the actual medicines. Yes, it's, it, no, it's absolutely fascinating. And I mean, one can look at a lot of these writings as being um, the oral history that has been written that would have been lost mm. had these people not had the foresight to write all of this down. I often tease my friends, you know, when they talk about in our culture this, and I always say, are you sure your culture is the same culture as your ancestors of 150 to 200 years ago? And these papers possibly now will, you know, determine whether um, I, uh, there's any validity to my views on that. So um, the... they, al- they also, interestingly, cover coming-of-age ceremonies for girls and some boys in some instances, um, hmm. which, is, which, again, is very interesting um, and has been, I suppose, very confidential in many areas. So... I'm going to speak later about how people can access this information, but I'm quite interested in the intentions behind those who did feel that it was important to document this and their background. So are these likely people who would have been uh, more westernized, who have decided let's document this and write this down and ask our ancestors what it is that we we do as a practices? Where would that have come from? Well, what we're trying to do at the moment on both our website and Facebook page is we're asking people to help us trace the descendants of these authors. Mm. Where we have information on the authors, most of them seem to be um, teachers, principals, Mm. um, people involved in education. One I remember, in fact, lived, uh, he was from Limpopo, but he lived in Kensington in Johannesburg, and he was um, a male nurse put his profession down as a male nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that there are also some um, who, a lot of ladies from Nongoma, in fact, who, who um, were clearly part of a mission school uh, mm-hmm. in Nongoma. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, obviously, because of COVID, we can't do the research that we would like to do. I've already contacted members of um, the families of various authors um, because I'd like to visit their graves to pay my respect to, respects to them. Um, but clearly one can't you know, travel into Limpopo at the moment hmm. and other provinces. So the question <laughs> that came through earlier was, you know, when would people be able to get access to this kind of information? 
Well, what you, you, as you can imagine, it's extremely difficult to make any um, publishing decisions, mm. book publishing decisions on the basis of all these writings until they've been translated and transcribed. So what we're doing is we are making them available uh, as we subscribe and translate them on our website okay. on a subscription basis. Mm. Um, and in fact, I've just had a meeting this morning where we have uh, reduced our subscription offer to six months in order to slightly reduce the price to 199 rand. So people can then have access to all of the writings that are currently on the website, plus those that we um, upload uh, between now and and uh, obviously the end of their subscription period. I'm hoping, uh, Terence, <coughs> this is a living experience. It's it's not going to end. I, I hope you're going to tell me that people can keep submitting stuff because as as people are exposed to what they what's going to be published on your site, others are going to say, well, guess what? I've found one, two, three. Can people keep submitting? They can, but, you know, obviously at this stage, I think we have to complete this collection that we found. Um, as you mentioned earlier, it's a monumental task. Mm. Um, at the moment, we estimate, um, because obviously we don't know how many pages uh, the manuscripts and typescripts of the unscanned material have, but I estimate it's going to be somewhere between fifteen to 20,000 A4 pages in total. Um, and our principal focus is is going to be on these materials to a point where we've decided just for the moment to suspend our uh, our story publishing because of new information that mm-hmm. is coming through from these writings that uh, I don't believe any historians were previously aware of. Just give me an example. I mean, now you've written my appetite. You've got to you've got to share a little bit of what you say. Uh, okay, um, you know, here, here's a, I was absolutely amazed by this. <clears throat> Many people claim that uh, Shaka, King Shaka, never met any white people. Now, this writing says that um, Shaka tried to send many people to go to England to King George the Fourth. No, his his Isinduna were Sutobe Kampangalala of the Sabia clan, together with Mbozamboza. Now we know their names. Shaka asked the white man, James Saunders King, to take them overseas to England. Shaka said that a book should be written that would hold his words, informing the reader that the bearer comes from KwaZulu, and he sent by Shaka the Nkosi of KwaZulu so that they might pass their respects to King George IV, and saying that Shaka was intent on creating a relationship so that his people and yours might live harmoniously, a friendly alliance between the two nations. Below that, um, he also then talks about ambassadors of the Impi in the olden days. Kurulumende is what he calls uh, the place they went to, to government. Now, from our initial investigations, we believe that can only be Cape Town because there was no government in KwaZulu-Natal at the time. Here are the names of the ambassadors who were sent by Shaka. Sotobe, the ambassador in the olden times for Shaka. Mlulwana, ambassador sent to government. Usiziba, ambassador sent to government. Ziyezi, ambassador sent to government. Siziba, ambassador sent to government. Boza Boza, ambassador sent to the government. 
Now, I mean, I was absolutely flabbergasted, <laughs> flabbergasted when I read that. I'm astounded. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm very curious about why he wanted to send um, some people to England. I'm, I'm quite also intrigued at the relations he was trying to build. So that's that takes us to another complete conversation. Let me go no, quick. In, indeed, and I don't know, but you know, when he talks about sending those people, there is a date. They yes. left on the 30th of April, 1828. So we have a date that the ship sailed out of what has become Durban, we assume. Off to Cape Town, I imagine, and then possibly to England. Okay, but so this, sorry. So this this could possibly mean that if we really, really wanted to, we could trace this this departure and where these people landed because they had names. Exactly. In fact, I've already been in, t- in touch with my contact at the High Commission, the South African High Commission, to say when this is over, this is something else we need to investigate. We know they sailed in April. Mm-hmm. The journey in those days would probably have taken about three or four months. Mm-hmm. Is there any record in the UK of these people arriving uh, and, and meeting with the British government? <laughs> wow. Nicholas, you're calling from Midrand. Good afternoon. Hi, Nicholas. Okay. We've lost Hello. you there for a minute. Hi, from... thank you for calling. Hi. I'm just saying, wow. Yeah. What a fascinating story today. <laughs> it's really you know, fascinating. When, thank when you. I was just listening to you, Pamela, and I'm trying to trace my issue back to Amalabaho back there, and I'm thinking of the detailed down, and I'm asking myself, when they are there on the mountain, was anything that was, writ- was written down? Mm. And I'm hopefully and meaningfully thinking there is one yeah. that will take us there. Yeah. I think in the near future we'll get that yeah. one. Yeah. I'm, I'm so fascinated. It is this. fascinating. But Thank you for can, your interest. Can I tell you the ancestors work in strange ways? Yes. Uh, yeah. We have at least five or six writings uh, oh. on uh, Malibu yeah. and Bahanan. It's very, very interesting because it also recounts meetings between Malibojo and the Rain Queen. And, and the, the reason judge. why they stayed on the mountain and that mountain is always great. Yeah. Yeah. No, indeed. I mean, it, it's yeah. They, so definitely, your people have not been left out from these writings. <laughs> wow! Listen, so Terry, I guess Nicholas, you're going to subscribe, huh, and and get some of these writings. It's with no time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks very much, in, Nicholas. In, so, in fact, in fact, sir, there is also an our story book called The Siege of Le Boho, mm-hmm. about the siege. You will know it well coming from Bloberg. So so just anecdotally, Terence, what what came out of that a little bit? What came out of? Out of the writings that he's referring to, do you, do you remember any any of the? Well, yeah, no, well, you know, there's a whole lot of information on how they got there. Yes. Um, that the people originated in current what is today Botswana. Yes. Um, they were also under queenship, yes. um, and then crossed into what we now know as uh, Limpopo. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about the various customs, the kings um, uh, in succession, and the customs of of the. People people, uh, the cultural practices of the Bahananwa. Um, very, very interesting. I can't remember, obviously, all of this word for word, but uh, I can assure you that I have not yet read any of these writings where I felt, ah, this is a bit boring. And, and, and new stuff coming through all the time. 
Well, exactly, yes. We, we're working away. Uh, in fact, as material comes in from our translators, so manuscripts go out. And what we have said to our translators, they get both the typescript and the written manuscript, mm-hmm. is that they must refer to the written manuscript mm. and they must be faithful to the authors. We mm. type them word for word as they have been written. Even if some of those words today we find uncomfortable, it is not my place to change what our ancestors have written. So let's talk about architecture, because I see that in some of these writings there is some um, reference to architecture and why they did what they did. What what have you found? Architecture in terms of building. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Traditional um, hut building techniques, traditional village, how the villages should be laid out Mm -hmm. in different uh, uh, societies. Mm. Um, And in fact, one of them is the um, the Balabit, uh, where they talk uh, about how the Balabit villages are laid out. And there's an illustration, a handwritten illustration in the manuscript um, of of those, you know, do they, of, do they explain those. why they would be, um, you know, sort of designed in that way? I know that you don't uh, have it in front of you. There is a bit of information on that, but again, yes. I don't have the detail. Yes. <clears throat> um, I don't have that in my head. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I have, we, we've translated um, material on the Bankuna, which is fantastically interesting, mm-hmm. and also on the Balabedu. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if there is time, I could uh, read a bit about those. because. Um, um, yeah. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a break to, to, to pull that um, up so that we can uh, get a piece of that when we come back from the break, and then we'll give some other people a chance to comment. 011-714-2006. WhatsApp number is 0614-104-107. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Okay, so I'm in conversation with Terence Ball, who is a publisher at Heritage Publishers, and uh, they, together with the University of Pretoria, uh, have come across 891 rare ancestral writings between the 1930s and the 1940s, and they have gone all out to try and translate some of this uh, works, which was uh, written in indigenous languages into English, so that many, many other people can get access to this work. And um, there's lots of references reference to medicine, African uh, traditional medicines, to agriculture, village huts and constructions and so on. And so it's quite a vast, um, a lot of of stuff that they they do cover as well as obviously our history as well. So Terence has promised that he's going to pull up some writings and read to us. But before we do that, I want to just take a call quickly from Budi, who's calling us from Katlehong. Good afternoon, Budi. Hello, I'm well, thanks for calling. Hey, what a fascinating topic. It is, definitely. Pamelo, I'm a Musotu, and my surname is Pakadicha. Mm-hmm. And I heard the guy, uh, your guest, they're talking about uh, Amasubi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know well, while, while I was uh, still, uh, uh, well, I grew, I grew up, I knew I, would, uh, I grew up as a Musotu, but when I started reading, my teenage years, mm-hmm. I, I came across my surname, and it was under uh, it was a king of actually chief of Masubi who was Pakadit. Mm. So I, I, I was wondering where did he end up with his uh, search for the Pakadit clan? Interesting, Terence, are you able to to find that at all in some of the works that you've come across? 
Well, I I couldn't really hear very clearly what the gentleman was saying, but there is a book by Sutu on the history of the Free State Hlubi. Yes. And then, um, if I'm not mistaken, we've got about four or five texts uh, in Isi Hlubi, Isi Tosa. Oh, excellent. Okay. Um, What was the name of the person that he is? Bakadija. 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 Okay. With a BA. I, it doesn't immediately come to mind, mm-hmm. but I'd, I'd, I'd have to do a search on that in the uh, writings on Amashubi. All right. So so there is some reference to Amashubi that you've got in some of the writings uh, as well. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, uh, indeed, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Cornelius is calling from Haman Skral. Good afternoon, Cornelius. Uh, good afternoon. How are you? Hi. We well. Uh, Thank you. Go ahead, Cornelius. Uh, great. Fascinating. I just wanted to find out, Karen, if you have any writing on Bakunibanishikipuri. Oh, Kanelis, you're going to have to speak up slightly for us, please. We we couldn't hear that. No, I I I cannot hear you at all. Um, Terence, are you able to hear him? I can't hear that. Very broken. Very broken. I All can't right. hear. Cornelius, I'm so sorry. Um, we're going to have to try that on a better line. Okay. So l- let's then talk, um, Terence, about some of the works that you wanted to read to us. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's such a variety. Um, you know, I, I thought that one of the other amazing works, in my view, hmm. was a work on the history of the Bankuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a Vatsonga clan mm-hmm. uh, with uh, strong historically and goody ties mm-hmm. that go back long before um, Shoshangan mm-hmm. came out of KZN. Mm-hmm. This one is written by Shilubana, who is part of the royal family, mm-hmm. um, and it covers Horsi Shilubana one. And it reads, in the year 1833, Manukusi Shoshangana, the leader of the Nguni tribe, announced the launch of a circumcision school at Bileni. Bileni is in Mozambique. All looked well. However, a year later, in 1834, he was on the move. He left the area, Bileni, together with the uh, Nkavelani tribe, Mabunda tribe, and several others, and headed to Nkangala, Rhodesia, which today, obviously, we know is Zimbabwe. Mm. However, the Mabunda tribe, under the leadership of Gulatino Nyongana and his tribe, Nkavelana and his tribe, as well as, the, as, well as Shilubana, the leader of the Nkuna tribe, broke rank with rank, sorry, broke ranks with him, Manukosi, at Miti, which is the Limpopo River, and turned back to Bileni, where they came from. Manukosi proceeded with his journey to Nkangala. As the Nkavelana and the Mabunda tribes were returning to Bileni, they encountered the Mbokota tribe, led by Horsi Kosi at Miti. A battle broke out between the two parties. This battle was known as Abanaho. And then um, Manukosi arrived back at uh, Kangala. When he was still there, he sent word to Hosi Shilubana, leader of the Nkuna tribe, ordering him to take care of his land, promising a return. These terrible tidings sparked fear amongst the Nkuna. Um, their fear for Manukosi was palpable. They said, we know him, Manukosi. He is seething with anger as we broke rank with him whilst with him and turned back on our way. Mm. He is vindictive and harbors grudges. When he returns, he will kill us one by one until we are all destroyed. In order to avert the imminent bloody annihilation, there was no alternative but to fight. They resolved and uh, vowed to fight against him. Their fears were realized. Any rate, a battle was had, and then the Bankuna and others had to flee, and they fled into South Africa and settled around uh, Zani, Nkwankua. 
Now, it is absolutely extraordinary that we are reading the words um, obviously told to the author by, we believe, either his father or grandfather, Horsi mm-hmm. Shilubana one, who actually met with Shoshanga. This is extraordinary. So, so, uh, so help me out with the, what date this is now, because we, I kind of, you know, left it at 1834-ish. Yeah. Well, so when the they settled. Ankuna apparently arrived in the area of Zanin and mm-hmm. Kuankua mm-hmm. uh, in about 1836, 1837. Mm. So uh, Manukoshi Shoshangan started the circumcision school in Belen in 1833, according to the author. Mm-hmm. And in 1834, obviously he left um mm. clearly remember that all travel would have been on foot yes. so to travel from bileni on foot mm. to zimbabwe uh, would have taken a considerable while mm. so and, 1830s and and this settling in limpopo around 1836 37 correct that's right that's right. And then um, the author goes on to describe um, the extraordinary first meeting mm-hmm. between uh, the Horsi of the Bankuna mm. and the Rain Queen herself. Uh, and it's just fascinatingly interesting. Um, <laughs> and how, how the, you know, how, how they met and what discussions were had uh, amongst the Balabetu and well, the uh, Was it a face-to-face face meeting? Was it, was it a face-to-face meeting or were there media It was a face-to-face meeting, yes. He went up the hill to meet with uh, the Rain Queen at Hamojaj. Wow. Okay, and do you, uh, what did they talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so curious. They, they, you know, they, they, they obviously um, uh, talked about how they were going to live with one another yes. very safely, etc., sure. and stories that the Rain Queen kind of treated the uh, Balabedu along, apparently also with the Baloi, who mm-hmm. don't live very far away, mm-hmm. um, uh, as, as, as an army to, to protect the Balabedu. Um, so that's, it's, 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 it's fascinating reading. Yes, <laughs> because they, they probably also were ceremonies um, to welcome them into the area and to settle them in and all of that stuff. Yeah. Correct, yes. And I, then, you know, the, uh, the, uh, I can't really stop talking about it because it just is so interesting. Okay. And as I've said to people, look, you know, I cannot guarantee that the authors wrote the absolute <laughs> truth. But I cannot see any reason why they would have lied about what had happened. You know, storytelling um, so, is, you know, is... I, I find it fascinating. Yeah, storytelling is exactly that. It's storytelling, you know, it's when it's come and, and it is exactly that. I mean, there's, it's the, it's the story as told by the author, as you said, and there's very little you can do about that. Let me quickly give people details of where they can find these writings. Terence, you, you go ahead. Where, where can they find them? Uh, they can go to our website, which is obviously dot. S-A Heritage Publishers, S at the end, mm-hmm. dot C-O dot mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, we also are on Facebook, but I don't have the date. Just look for Heritage on Facebook, I assume. Lovely talking. Thank you so much, Terence. I really appreciate it. Has an hour passed already. It, it actually has. It feels like 10 <laughs> minutes, but it actually has. Thank you, well, Terry. Well, if you're happy to have me back, I'd love to be back with we new, would new love, information and new stories. We, what we'll do, we'll actually put together some of the questions that come through from uh, WhatsApp and our listeners, and maybe we'll send those to you uh, in advance, and then we can maybe reveal some of the answers there. So yeah, we certainly will do. have you. We certainly will have you back. Thank you very much, Terence. Thank you. Great privilege for me. Thank Absolute you. Absolutely wonderful. Goodbye. He's a publisher of Heritage Publishers. So you find 
all this information on www.saheritagepublishers.co.za and you can find almost absolutely anything that you are looking for that maybe is related to your family. They haven't gone through everything, but just go and see and find and you'll be fascinated just like we've been for the past hour. Two o'clock, let's go to Nandika Bukas for the latest in SABC News.